Amen, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Let me try one more time. Good morning. That is pretty good. That's pretty good. Hey, do me a favor. This is something we like doing at our church sometimes, and it, it breaks up stuff a little bit. But, um, hey, I want everybody to take uh, about 30 seconds and find somebody around them, even if you have to get out of your seat and introduce yourself and tell them your name and learn somebody else's name. Okay? You've got 30 seconds starting now. 29, 28, 27. Hello online. Hey, we love you. Tell us where you're from. Let us know your name. Where's all my introverts at that's not getting out of their seat? And usually the introverts will check their phone right now. There we go. 15 seconds left. If anybody hasn't gotten up, go say hi to them. Get them. Come on, get them. Say hello. Hello, my name is. Hello, hey. There we go. There we go. Isn't this good? All right. Now how many people are mad at the guest preacher? Okay, I've got some people that won't even raise their hand. They're mad at me. So, <laughs> hey, anyways, that's what church should feel like. And, and it, it, we should talk to each other. We should know each other. And, and you guys were very welcoming coming in. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Pastor Kyle has invited us to be here. Um, obviously, this is my, uh, my bride and me. We, um, we are here today. Adrian was helping to, to lead worship and, and be a part of that. Amen. Yeah, so if we could... Go back to my picture before I, I'm, I'm struggling with this pointer today. So let's pray about this thing in me. That way we don't have a problem. But yes, this is my bride, Adrian. Obviously, that's me. And we pastor at the Well Church in Springfield. And uh, Kyle has uh, so graciously invited us just to be a part of your guys' service today. And, and really just to share a little bit about what God has done in my life and our life at our church. And, um, and so before we go too far, my wife and I got here yesterday, okay, and we were like, you know what, let's explore a little bit of this Pittsburgh area and just get to know the culture. And, and so we, we stopped by a couple of the local hotspots. Uh, the first one was, uh, what is it, Root Coffee? Amen? Okay, we got four people that like that place. Okay, I failed there. Uh, the second one, we stopped at Colton's. And I had many people after first service told me that was also a mistake, that I've not gone to something authentic and local. So forgive me for there. So I failed twice now. But then the third place, I'm sure I hit a home run on this one. We went by your guys' mall. That one took 11 minutes, and seven of it was getting out of my car. So um, anyways, uh, we uh, love small town. My wife grew up small town. I, I, I did so about the age of 12, I grew up in kind of a small town. And, and, but what I really do, this is what I actually really love. This is one of the things I love about Pittsburgh in this area. You guys support your local college so well. You know, it is really celebrated, but here is like the big question I need to figure out. Who pays for all the mascots everywhere? You know, every restaurant, everywhere you drive, it's got the, it's got the, the mascot out in front of it. I want to know who, who's paying for all those mascots everywhere, because I think that's a pretty neat idea. We just need to put Pitt and As, uh, signs everywhere. You know, we'll have a mascot, we'll have Kyle's picture out there, and everybody would know who we are here. You know, so we should adopt this philosophy, and anyways... Um, as far as my story goes, I, I, at the age of 12, I lived in Missouri. I was a small-town boy. Uh, anybody ever heard of Miller, Missouri? Wow. 
that was about the entire population of Miller that just heard of it. So, you know, 600 people or so, small town, no stoplights, no grocery stores, that kind of life. You know, I really didn't travel outside of that area very much. Very, maybe went to Branson is as far as I really went. Maybe Kansas City once my whole time, uh, 1 to 12 years old. And my parents were, were addicts um, who tried to do right. They had me in church, but they were addicts. And they ended up moving us from Miller, Missouri to Phoenix, Arizona. And so you can't imagine the culture shock that I was in for moving to the middle of Phoenix. And so we went from small town, 600 people. I, I hadn't met anything but a Caucasian person until the age of 12. No joke. That was, that's a true part of my testimony. But then my parents moved me to the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, into this area. It was called the Square Okay, and it was like a few mile radius, and it was it was uh, it was like a a, a a dis population of lower income apartments and, and stuff like that, and and so I went to middle school. My middle school had like three thousand people at the middle school, and so I go from a a high school of one hundred nineteen people from seventh grade to twelfth grade to a middle school that had three thousand people, and so I just had this crazy culture shock and and all the things, but. Uh, my parents, on the when we got out to Arizona, both really fell back into their addiction, even worse than ever. And and I didn't see much more of my father after that point in my life. And and so I quickly followed suit in my own life. My mom's mental health was a big issue. I had I, I had seen some terrible things through her mental health. And so I had went to the world and tried to find a community. And and I numbed myself through drugs and alcohol, and which led to some terrible experiences. And um, I ended up getting married. I got married. I, I, I had a couple kids at that point, and I was not serving the Lord, and, and, and all of that just fell down around me, and, and somewhere around 2013 is when my life really changed. I had lost the marriage. I had lost the kids, and, and everything had fall apart, but that's really when God started to get a hold of my life and, and truly transform my life, and, and so I don't know if there's anybody out there that maybe that has a prodigal. You know, anybody out there that, that drug addiction or, or, or that type of lifestyle, it just stole from them and it's robbed them. You, you know what I'm talking about. You almost feel hopeless inside of that. You almost feel like I could never get uh, away from this or get through this or, or they'll never change. Anybody ever said that? There's just, they've, they, too many times they've gone back and forth and I was that person. I was that person that my family had wrote me off, that, that nobody else had had hope that I could change or change. And maybe you're here this morning and you're that person. I remember wanting change. I just didn't understand how it could happen. You know, but, but I, I distinctly remember that in this season of my life that, that the Lord had to break me in order to use me and heal me. I remember that season of, of knowing that, the, the, that, that realizing the most valuable thing that I'd ever been was broken. Because when I was truly broken and I stopped just trying to do things my way and truly let the Lord just have the reins and guide and direct me, that's when he truly transformed and changed my heart. And so now this is uh, year seven into ministry coming in this, this November. It will be my seventh year in ministry. And, and, and man, it has been a wild ride. Wild ride. It's been, you know, it's such an honor and a privilege. One of the things that we've been entrusted with at the church that I am, uh, I'm at uh, right now is I came and started a Friday night recovery ministry, and we called it Redemption. You know, and so we went out the, the most broken, the most hurting, the most jacked up, the homeless, the drug addict, the, oh, you're in the bar, come to church type of thing. And, and we said, Kate, come to church. You're welcome. You're accepted. You belong here. You know, you've been an outcast. Oh, you hate the church. Good. Come on. Let's come to church. And 
and all of those people. And one of the mottos that I, I've always kind of really, it's in Matthew that Jesus even said this. He said that healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That our churches need to be these hospitals for the sick and the broken. They need to be a beacon, a hope that people can come and know that life transformation is still possible, that it can happen. And, and so we just went after these people, and we loved on them, and we brought them in. And then when 400 of them showed up, we were nervous, <laughs> and we were really scared. And, and so then we had, to, we had to figure out, like, how do you blend these two worlds? How do you take seasoned saints and people that have sat in church their whole life and don't maybe have my testimony? You know, and, and how do you take that group of people and then, and then take these messed up and broken people and blend them and, and how to do life together? And, and I, I think that's one of the things that we'll be preaching about today, that we've been in this series of family issues and the letters to the churches. But like today we are talking about like the church of Philadelphia. And so in this letter is specifically the model that we used in order to integrate redemption, broken people, drug addicts, the lost, the hurting, the sick people that Jesus went after, the tax collectors, the sinners, the adulterous, the, the orphans out there, that, that this model is what we use to integrate the broken and the hurting and the lost into a church and make them feel comfortable. And so this is the out of the letters that we've studied, this is the one that's truly been where there's not really a criticism or a condemnation. There's, he's not pointing out the things that, have, that we've done wrong. And I don't know about you, but you've got to think about that for a second. Because sometimes if I'm not careful in my religious mindset, I almost think that maybe sometimes I can't please God. Sometimes I can't quite do things right or I'll never get it correct, and, uh, but I'm just going to be a wretched old sinner till I die. And, and, and this letter specifically points out that we church people can get it right, that we can do it right. And so there's a lot of good content inside of this today that we are going to be talking about. And so when we read Revelations 3, and we're going to be in the church in Philadelphia, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip to this. If not, of course, I'll, I'll read it off the screen for you, but... It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Hit the brakes. You got to go, okay, like, think about what's going on here. It is saying that this letter is written to an angel. I don't know if stuff like that in the Bible messes you up when you read it, but, but I'm just trying to, like, logically think about there's a letter getting written to an angel. Do they get mail? Like, I, they got P.O. boxes, or how do they get their, like, where does that, it's email, I bet. I bet they had emails before we even had the internet or something, and that's how they're getting their letters. But when I read that, I'm like, okay, like, what does that really mean? Like, that's the kind of, like, informational, like, hunger you've got to ha have when you're reading the Bible. When you're reading this stuff, you can't just let your, your regular church eyes glaze over it and not think about what is it really saying. What does it mean that a letter could be written to an angel? I need to know that information when I'm studying the Bible. And, and so when you look at this word angel, of course it means what we would say like this spiritual being, this angel, the, a heavenly angel. But it also has implications that it can mean overseer. It can mean one in authority of. And so when, it, when, when these letters are written, you can also take this into context. It's potentially talking about our, our pastors and overseers of our churches. That they are an, they are an overseer, that they are in, in an authority of. And so this letter is written to the overseer of this church in Philadelphia. So you take that word Philadelphia, the word phileo. Everybody say phileo. Mmm, phileo. Okay. Now, phileo is a kind of love 
And so in this city, this, this, this brotherly affection, this brotherly love between two brothers originally, that this is what this word was coined off, it was like this deep, affectionate, intimate style of love. And so this church in Philadelphia was known for the way that they loved each other. Okay, now back up. Think about Brandon's testimony and, and many of your testimonies in here. You know, I know you, we, we got messed up, broken past, your alcoholics, addiction, or it's in your family or something. If the church loved people with this kind of phileo love, if I could walk in here and feel more comfortable and welcome than I walk into a bar and they, they welcome me, I'll keep coming back to church. That's the only reason that, that broken and hurting people go to the bars, that we go to look for something, is to find some level of peace and comfort in my heart, in my soul, in my personality, some sort of connectedness, some sort of belonging. And so this phileo love is what they, this church in Philadelphia, the only one without criticism, the only letter that says that you're not doing something wrong is the church that specializes in this phileo, this brotherly affection, this, this kind of honoring love, this connectiveness type of love that, that this letter written to the angel, the church of Philadelphia. This is the message from the one. And so now you got to look at that, the message from the one. It, these words in black coming after this, they're describing the author of this letter, okay? And so, writing to the overseer of the church, church in Philadelphia, that word phileo, okay? It's, a, it's an intimate love. It's a loyalty love. It's, a, it's, it's somebody who delights in being with other people in their company. With me so far? This is the message from the one who is. So, this is telling us who the author is, is holy and true. The first two descriptions of the author. Number one, it's holy. That word holy is, uh, holiness is repeated so often in the scripture that First Peter says that, that we are to be holy as he is holy. And so, again, let me connect this. Phileo love, the connection that we need as a church, the kind of love. We also, this holiness, this holiness message. It's what took a drug addict and a broken guy like me and transformed me is holiness. You see, us Nazarenes, if you don't know, you're at a Nazarene church. We believe in this holiness message. We believe in sanctification. We not only believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us, we believe that his Holy Spirit is to fill us and to transform us. We believe that the power of sin can be broken in our lives. And that is the message that our generation of lost people are missing. That this holiness, that this separation from sin, that this brokenness, that I, I no longer have to be a slave to my choices. I no longer have to be a slave to darkness. That I can be broken from that bondage that I've, that I've lived in my whole life. But it only happens when the power of the Holy Spirit fills the believer. That we believe it's a, a, a distinct second mark of a believer. Not only that we can be holy as he is holy, but holy and true. That the message that's being spoken here is true. That you can trust it. That you can believe it. Holy and true. The one who has the key of David. So holy's one, true's two. Key of David is the third description of the author that, that he's got the, it's clearly talking about Jesus, the root of David, the Davidic, the, the Davidic line that, that, that he is the, 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 um, the key to the treasures of heaven, that, that he is the, the son of God, that, that only through Christ Jesus do we have access to the Father. Another description of the author. And so we look at the holy, the true, the 
key of David, that, that this is the access to all the treasures of heaven. And this next one says, what he opens. Everybody say open. open. I got any control freaks in here? Sorry, that's a bad word to probably use in church, is it? Yeah, I got two honest people, and the rest of you are still dealing with it. I get it. <laughs> if I got any mothers in here, yep, I know, okay? No offense, moms, but what he opens, we're not in control. Man, we think we are a lot of times. And, and this is the journey that I, to believers, to my seasoned saints, to my faithful, steady seasoned saints, that sometimes in our journey, the desperation we had in our first season of relying on God's voice to open doors for us, God's provision to open doors in our life, we quit checking in to see if these are the right doors I'm going through because I've got it figured out by now. That the same desperation that it required year one in your faith, year three in your faith, is the same desperation that he wants you to rely upon about hearing his voice and letting him open the doors in your life. What he opens, no one can close. And I think there's a, there's a lot of people that have, have opened doors in their own life, opened opportunities in their life, taken on things that they shouldn't, and they're missing the things that he wants to open. And so what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. You see, those are the four distinct uh, like character traits of that author. And so as we look at this, and we're going to go on to the rest of the text, I've Talking about this ministry again that, that we started, it, it was called Redemption on Friday nights. And, and, and so we ran into this, into this crisis, I guess you would say, or, or like this major need. And so we had three, 400 drug addicts and broken people showing up on a Friday night, like worshiping their faces off, like crying and snotting on the altars and life transformations happening. And they're, they're getting their kids back and they're, and, they're, and they're breaking the cycle of poverty in their life. And, and we're seeing all these things, but we just didn't have enough people to disciple them and mentor them. And so we were having this trouble trying to get our Sunday congregation to want to integrate with our Friday congregation. They, they love to write a tithe check and let y'all support you. God bless you. And, but, but then to show up and actually do life with them, what would you imagine the most common objection I heard was, we have, I've got nothing in common. How could I help them? I've never been there. And so we came up with this, like, this philosophy and this idea, and it's all built out of this phileo love. It's a, it was reverse mentoring. You see, all you have to do as a seasoned saint, as a believer of Jesus Christ, somebody who's been faithful and steady and persevered, all you have to do is act interested in somebody who's broken and outcast and orphaned from the world. You just got to invite them in to do life with you. Act interested in their life. Let them tell you about their life, about the things that they've gone through. Allow them to teach you about the language, the vocabulary, the, the way to communicate to them. And once you begin listening and hearing and, and letting them be involved in your life, and, and then you can go, hey, why don't you join me on Sunday? You can sit next to our family. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in this reverse mentoring process, the, the drug addict, the broken person, the hopeless person begins like connecting with, with, with Tom and, and Susie, our, our 37-year seasoned saints, and the, the, the steady, persevering couple. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, broken drug addict uh, Bob over here is, is asking Tom and Susie, like, hey, how do, how do I pay my taxes? How do, how do I get a car loan? Wait, how do I read my Bible? And so somewhere along this journey of, of just lowering what your expectation is, that, that you don't have to fix them. In fact, you can't. 
that you're not the great physician, thank God, that he is. But somewhere along the way, just listening to them and demonstrating this phileo love, maybe inviting them out to lunch one day, maybe inviting them in your home. That's scary. But that's what we did. That's what that was. And when you began doing life with it, all of a sudden we've got like this congregation of, uh, of such a blended congregation, such a diverse, and I got young adults and we got drug addicts and broken people and they're all worshiping together and they're all together in this church and, and there's just love and hugs and, and everybody believes that, that we're in this together because the thing that we had in common and we have in common is Jesus. And that's greater than anything that we don't have in common. And so we believed that. Let's go into the text a little bit more. Revelations 3, verses 8 through 13. Revelations chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And I know all the things you do. And I've opened a door for you that no one can close. I know all the things you can do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. Important vocabulary to pay attention to. And we'll unpack this a little bit. Again, he's talking to the church in Philadelphia, the only one that doesn't have criticism or complaints against them. The Phileo Love Church, the people who did life together. And so you have little strength, yet you, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan that belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I loved. Verse 10, it says, because you have obeyed my commands, he's repeating this, but there's an important word that, that is inserted into this. And so if there's one character trait about the church of Philadelphia that, that is true and sticks out of them, it's this next word. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Everybody say persevere. Man, that's something we've lost in the church. And, you know, we say we've lost it, but this is, this is what I'm in here in my heart. You know, the good thing about guest preaching, I don't have to be invited back and you don't have to like me. <laughs> I don't really care to be honest <laughs> so can I just say some things that need to be said sometimes okay if, if, if you got sensitive ears cover your ears in a second this persevere it's not something we've lost it's just not something we've passed down to this next generation somewhere along our journey of doing life together as a church we have told our seasoned saints that they're, they're valueless We've told those people that have walked and persevered that their journey, that the life that they've walked out is incredible. Somehow we've diminished the ability for them to be able to speak into our younger believers and generation that discipleship, this perseverance, this faithfulness, this, as I would even say about your pastor, inside of the church of the Nazarene, he is one of the most faithful and persevering pastors that we have. He is a role model and an example. He has laid a path for guys like me to understand what faithfulness looks like. But in most of our churches, there's not the older generation raising up our next generation. Amen? Everybody still kind of like me? Okay. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. 
Verse 11 says this. It says, I'm coming soon. Amen? I'm, I'm excited for that. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. I will write on them. I don't, again, this is one of those sentences that I can't wait to experience. But it says that he will write on them the name of my God. That they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Verse 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen. You must listen to what the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So my question is, is what are we? What, like, what are we to learn from this church in Philadelphia? You know, there's a funny thing about lessons sometimes. Again, parents, you can probably appreciate maybe my next thought a little bit. But you have those people around you that you wish they would just listen to you and your life lessons. I wish they would just hear me when I tell them that you don't have to go through what I went through. If I could go back to 15-year-old me and say, you don't have to make those choices that I've got, I have the scars to prove that, that you don't have to numb yourself. That, that there is hope that the, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit can protect you and, and hold you near and dear and under the, the refuge. But there are some people that just have to learn lessons the hard way. These letters are instructions to us as a church to learn from the church of Philadelphia on how we don't have to go the hard way. We don't have to learn those lessons in our life. So one of the first things that we see is, is again, to my control freaks in here, that, that he is the one that opens the doors in our life. He says, I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You see, that little strength that's highlighted. Kyle alluded to, the, to this, Pastor Kyle did in his message, and he talked about the, the church of Sardis, that, that it was reputation versus character. Do you guys remember a little bit of that if you were listening? Nobody listened. That's bad. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Reputation is what people think of you, and character is what you actually are. You see, in our society, we celebrate people of great reputation. You're a great success. You're a great businessman. You're a great this. And, and, and so that, that becomes, because it's celebrated, we repeat it. Because you celebrate my reputation, but you really don't know my character. That, that, our, that, that we continue to just try to fluff up and propped up this reputation of who, you, who I want you to think I am. But it may not actually be who I am. And so this church, he said, is little strength that, that they were even smaller in might. That he, they weren't like the other churches that were just large in quantity and celebrated in quantity. But they were, they were little in strength, but they were faithful because they only walked through the doors that God opened for them. And so this little strength is something that we, as a desiring church of Philadelphia, desire to be. That, that we are to just celebrate attendance or numbers. And that's hard as pastors. It's hard in your own personal life. It's hard not to just celebrate the, the wins in your life, the, the successes, the way that people see you. But maybe get to this point to where your character matters more than what people think of you. 
This place that, that it doesn't matter how big my life is or how big my bank account is or how big my, my business is or, or all of the things, how big my house is. Like this little strength, these things that are small and mighty, but that's the door maybe that God's opened for you. Here's the second thing that we see out of the church of Philadelphia is that the Lord will fight our battles. I, I don't know if this is, if I'm just talking to myself in here, but a lot of times... I get stuck fighting the wrong battle. I get, my stuck, I, I get myself stuck fighting the things of, of what people say about me, of what people think about me. I, I get stuck fighting the, the local political scene or frustrations I have with, with, with this or that or this opinion or that opinion or, or the what's on the news or what's not on the news or what do they believe or, or don't even get me talking about COVID and masks and vaccines and all the things and we'll have a divide right in the middle of the church. We get stuck fighting the wrong battles. You see, sometimes we get stuck fighting the battles that the world's going through and losing sight of the battle that we're really in. You see, when you look at this, it says in verse 9 that they will come and bow down at your feet. What he is talking about, those Jews, those people that call them believers that are not believers, that the people that outwardly look religious but are inwardly dead. That outwardly they, look, they put together this great Sunday church performance, but inwardly this heart is dead. And that, that their heart is not sensitive to the things of God. That, that they don't actually, their heart doesn't break for the lost and the broken and the hurting. That, that, that eventually that those people that are pretending will come and bow down at the feet of those who are authentic. That he will fight our battles. That they will come and bow down at your feet. And they will acknowledge that you are the ones that I've loved. That you are the ones that I've loved. See, a lot of Christians, we live unhappy, unfruitful lives sometimes. Bad seasons where I get worn out, depressed, full of anxiety. And it causes us to get in like this complacency zone and and so what is he saying to the church of Philadelphia that the first thing was is that, that he'll open these doors in our life, that you can trust God's timing in your life. The second thing is that he'll fight your battles for you, that if you stay busy loving people with this phileo kind of love, that the Lord will fight these battles for you. And here's the third thing that we see in the scripture, that he will protect us. Again, really thinking about the times that we're in, how much danger constantly feels like we're, we're under the threat of. Our world, as we know it, is changing. The uh, society's changing. Uh, our, uh, whether or not we're able to worship or not. I mean, we, we went through that this last season. and shut down. You can open up. And we feel constantly like we've got to do something to protect ourselves. But the only thing we have to do, it says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere. That you've obeyed this commandment to persevere and not lose sight of the mission. That Jesus came to, to find the most broken, the most hurting people, the lost. That, that he wants us to per persevere with this phileo commandment. This commandment to go love people with brotherly affection and love. Invite them to do life with us. People that are from different backgrounds and different situations and different diversity uh, situations. That we would persevere in the Philadelphia, that phileo kind of love with them. That he will protect you from the great time of testing. I'll invite the worship team up please.
I'm going to try to land this plane, but if everybody else can go ahead and stand up as the worship team comes up, uh, you guys can get some blood flowing, and I think I saw a couple droopy eyes. That's not good. I know, you were praying. <laughs> that ain't right, is it? Let me ask you this. Are you trusting in the promises of God this morning? Where are you at with your journey? Where are you at with your life? Are you, are you trusting God to open the doors in your life? Do you rely on his provision, his, his permission to enter different seasons of your life? Whether it's the, the school you go to, the college, the job you take, or the marriage, or the, the house, or the, this next season. What do I do now, God? I don't feel like I've got anything else to offer this world or, or the, the prodigal, the drug addict in our families that have lost hope. I don't even know what to do, God. I just asked you this morning that you would just let the Spirit begin speaking to you and renew your passion to help them. And we'll close on this. Verse 13 says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying. This morning, I believe that He is saying that He wants to do something new in your life. I believe He wants to heal your mom. I believe He wants to change your family. That silent pain that you've been carrying, that heartache you've been carrying about that lost loved one, I believe in one moment of the Holy Spirit touching that part of their life, they can change. But it takes obedience on the act of a believer to step out and go, I'm going to stand in the gap for that person this morning. So I'm going to do something maybe you guys don't do all the time. But I, I would like if that spoke to anybody. Like I said, are you listening this morning? And if you have a loved one that you're praying for or you have something that you need the Lord to change in your life, I would like you to come down to these altars and kneel at these altars. And we just want to pray with you. So maybe you're praying for a loved one this morning. Maybe you're the one that needs prayer. Maybe you've got an addiction going on. Maybe you have lost loved ones or whatever. You can come to these altars and we're going to pray for you. And I'm going to even be awkward for a moment. I'm going to wait because I think that there's one person that could step out and be bold enough that you would encourage two or three others. I think that if one person could just step out and be bold enough, it kind of breaks the tension of it. There we go. That's it. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And if you're supposed to respond, now you can do it because there's other people at this altar. And I want the front of this area just filled up with people that are crying out for their prodigals, that are crying out for their lost loved ones, that maybe it's you this morning and it's time to lay that addiction down. Pornography, it can be broken today. Alcoholism, gambling, it can be broken today. And I believe in one act of obedience that Jesus Christ can break that over your life. And so if you're an elder or a pastor in this church, I would, I would ask that you come and pray over our people at the altars and let's go into worship together, family. Let's worship.